Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for joining us at home, and uh, good to see you all downstairs in the fellowship hall and here in the room. If you would, turn your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Whether you're turning in your copy of God's Word or turning into your devices, we hope that you join us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Matthew 5 verse 38. We're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the things, the radical things that Jesus said, the things that help us say, oh wow, God, without your help, we cannot do this. And we're thankful for your grace, but it is this high calling in which Jesus is Christians to live. And so we are challenged, we are, uh, we are encouraged, and we ask God to change our hearts in these ways if we are not already doing these things. So let us uh, pray. Uh, well, no, excuse me. Let's read, and then we will pray uh, to ask God to change us. Uh, and verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. God, this is your truth to us. God, humble our hearts right now. Lead us to your cross. May we have your attitude in us. May we consider ourselves less. In Jesus' name, amen. Burger King was truly ahead of its time a few years ago when its commercial line was, have it your way. Because that is ultimately the value or the culture in which we live. Everything is our way right away. We set up our screens on our devices exactly the way that we want it. We have our playlist exactly the way that we want it. Every streaming service that we watch, it has things that come up to recommend based on things, what? That you have already watched so that it is procured to the way that you want it. Amazon designs its page based on your history so that it comes up the way that you want it. Whether you're right-leaning or left-leaning politically, you have ways to go get the news the way you want it. You, if you, there is now even new social media and schools and books and things just the way you want it. The whole culture is centered around self. And we must think everything is fair and that our idea is the best idea. Unfortunately, Jesus says for Christians that we're not much different. I heard once of a church that had five different services at the same time so that you could go find a service that fits you. That if you like a little more country or a little more rock and roll, you could find something that fits your needs the same way people decide that their worship styles has forgotten that worship is about God and not ourselves. The reality is we've all fallen in prey 
to worshiping ourselves or making life about ourselves. The heart of this passage, though, Jesus is telling us and reminding us as Christians that we as Christians live by upside-down worldview. The last will be first. Loving others is more important. Serving leads to being the greatest. We are reminded that Jesus says that we are called to die to ourselves. That anyone to follow Jesus must take up your cross, dying to self and following him. Jesus is reminding that even though that we know that there are things in Christ, we do not own rights to ourselves. It's not that what we have or that we're better than anyone else, but instead we understand in Christ that we are all sinners, sinners. Saved by grace from outside of us. That there is no one more special than the other. Therefore, it is in this great news that Jesus has died for us, that we live for others and not for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us. It compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Tim Keller rightly observes that we should be thinking less of ourselves. Not meaning that we think less about ourselves, that we're putting ourselves in the doldrums, that we're, we're, we're bad and we're, we're going into self-pity. But instead, we think often, less often about ourselves. When Jesus speaks here, he goes even further. Because it's not just that we are to be about others, but even we should think less about ourselves even when we have been wronged by someone else. How radical is that? That when someone has done something wrong to us, that even then we should not be thinking about ourselves. And our duty is to not seek retaliation and not be seeking revenge, but that we are serving in love and reflection of Jesus. So in this passage, Jesus is saying that we must have a radically unselfish attitude. And in this passage, there are four situations in which we are reminded that we have no rights or that we give up or give away our rights because of who we are as Christians. These four illustrations or examples that Jesus gives helps us to see at the heart of the matter that we should not be more about self, but more about others. So number one, if you're following along, typing a note to yourself or writing a note, number one, we have no right for retaliation. We have no right for retaliation. Verse 38 through 39 says, 
You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But if I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, the principle for eye for an eye was an Old Testament uh, standard known as lex talonis, which was part of the Old Testament case of, dis, uh, of understanding or getting to the point of uh, determining a retribution over matters in the courts. How can the courts or how can the judges of the Old Testament make sure that the people were treating each other fairly, but there was not uh, own own retaliation or own uh, recomps taken from each person. And Levit- it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament, but one time Leviticus 24.20 says, Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injured he inflicted on the person, the same is to be inflicted on him. Now, uh, many people read this and get very down to the letter of the law on this, that, that there's supposed to be that, you know, somebody gets fractured immediately, you're supposed to go fracture the other people. But that's actually not what this was intended. It was intended in the du- judiciary to make sure that there was, there was equality of, 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 of judgment and justice. So that if I um, dropped your, your uh, basket of oranges and fruit and spoiled them, that someone didn't go kill my donkey. Uh, an even greater expense to, to recompensate. But what happened by Jesus' day is that the, the rabbis were teaching, hey, this law is now made for personal use. That we are to understand it not just in the justice system, but as we deal with one another. And the problem with them extending this principle from the law where it belongs to the personal relationship where it didn't belong became that it, it ended up being a matter of, of, unselfish, of selfishness, bitterness, vengeance, malice, and hatred. Because what people started to do was they started to say, okay, now using this kind of rule or guideline, how much can I do to this person to enact revenge? So instead of granting forgiveness to someone whom which we should grant forgiveness, people were trying to find that line that was under the law or under the man-made law to say that I, I can seek revenge to this matter. I can, I can seek justice to this matter. Uh, we say, well, that's just something for ancient Israel in the first century to deal with. But brothers and sisters, we often trick ourselves into thinking that it's okay to sin when someone has sinned against us. I mean, how often have we been cut off in the parking lot of the grocery store that we think at what point uh, can we enact revenge? I mean, most of us don't go around slashing tires, but in our mind, we've already gone there and we've probably already verbally said something that probably isn't um, becoming of a, a believer in Christ. Often many of us uh, understand and believe Uh, The great theologian Taylor Swift who says, nothing I do better than revenge. You know, we must go to Tay-Tay for information, don't we? But Jesus is saying that retaliation should not be the life of the believer. 
And we are almost as righteous mobsters going around knocking people off because we've been harmed. But the Bible tells us, Romans 12, 19 through 21, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now we know that our retaliation might not always be eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. But we have our own set of judicial systems we play in, right? When our spouse says something hurtful to us, we say something easy as hurtful or almost as hurtful to them. Someone does something that hurts us or is is insulting and we have the right justice, oh, it, it would be right for us right now to give them the silent treatment. We have our own system of justice in which we think and we procure that it is up to us to retaliate, to seek judgment and justice and ultimately revenge. But think of this radical call that Jesus has given us here. He goes even further to say, but I tell you that if someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other also to him. This might seem weird, and we wouldn't say that this extrapolates to every situation or every rule. As a matter of fact, falsely, some people have extrapolated to say Christians shouldn't serve in the army or or as police officers or different things because they said we should not repay evildoer uh, for what they have done. That is totally out of context and wrong. What it is saying here and understanding the culture of the first century was to strike backhandedly someone's right cheek was a matter of insult. And even in the East today, that that would be an extreme disregard to one's personhood, to insult them in a mighty way. And what Jesus is saying here is that if someone, even to the point of insulting you in this way, you should forgive and turn the other cheek. This is radically, radically calling of us and self-sacrifice to understand that when even when we're radically insulted, we will not retaliate. Now, this is the standard that is hard and difficult and something that is very goes against our flesh and understanding of this, but yet this is a standard in which Jesus has asked us to fill, which he has fulfilled himself. Right? The Jewish leaders spat and beat him and struck him. And then the Roman soldiers following suit, making him a crown of thorns, forcing it on his head, beating him, giving him the scepter of reed, insulting him, calling him the king of Jews, kneeling before him and insulting, spitting in his face and then beating him up in the same way What did Jesus do? Did he retaliate, call upon the army of angels angels to intervene? intervene? No, but with self-control and love, he was at peace and asked God to forgive them. 
You see, personal self-sacrifice displaces personal retaliation for the same way that Jesus went himself, the way to the cross. We must understand that we must put aside ourselves because we have no right to retaliate. Number two, we have no right to our possessions. We have no right to our possessions. Verse 40 says, as the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Now, how we understood this or how you must understand is what the Jewish law, what the rabbis were teaching. There was a Jewish law in which limited how a man could be sued. Now, in that day that there was a a thin layer uh, 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 of a robe and then there was a tunic and these were thin layers in which men and women wore but then there was a corresponding outer garment or coat and Jewish law recognized that uh, to take the coat the the furthest outer coating this was kind of similar to what would be a suit or to a, a, a fine dress in, in his expense but what its purpose practically was is to protect the person from the chill of the night air In Exodus chapter 22, verse 26 through 27, it says, If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset, for it is only covering his clothing of his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen, because I was gracious. The reality is, is that for to go to someone in judgment, to take something that's even the most valuable to them, Uh, was uh, a limit too far. But what Jesus goes is to the heart of the matter. Is he actually does something even further. Where he says if someone comes and brings collateral suit against you and asks for the shirt or the lighter level, he says give them your coat, your most valued possession. What a radical calling that Jesus has given to offer a cloak when they had even no right to it. The principle here is primarily not the avoidance of lawsuits in which we believe the the scriptures talk about in 1 Corinthians 6, but this radically unselfish attitude to one's property. What D.A. Carson observed here is, but at stake here is a principle. Even those things which we regard as our rights by law We must be prepared to abandon. Well, what does this mean? This means that we have the right understanding of all of our things are God's. All of our things are not ours. All of our things God has given for us to be good stewards of, but none of it for us to hold in our own possession so tightly. So it refers to our property, to our homes, automobiles, clothes, food, and other things. And it tells us that these things are not ours to hold and guard jealously. Instead, that we recognize that all of these things are to be used for the glory of God. And we must understand that it is to be used even for the good of other people. You know, I had a pastor friend who told me that he had was the first time to 
open life groups or small groups in their church. And, and he was struggling because when he offered and opened the life group, that he, his office was in the same room that the kids uh, were meeting or, or, or staying. And he had to re- replace his computer twice because of, of the things that happened with kids in life group. And, and he was getting frustrated and he said, but he understood that God was using this for his glory. And he did learn to put his computer away when the kids came over. But the reality is we are called in all things to to be reminded as as believers that we don't own anything. As a matter of fact, we see the example in Acts chapter 2. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had a need. This attitude of knowing that my stuff is not mine is for the glory of God. That we need to understand that we need to put ourselves into check and realize we have no right to our possessions. And number three, in the same way, we have no right to our time. In verse 41, it says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, there is a good understanding of, of, of being determined and, and going beyond the call of duty. But what the original word here and gario means is I commandeer or to take over. Now, the, the understanding is, is someone who forces you, commandeers you to go an extra mile. Well, maybe we know the picture of this, if you're familiar with the Bible. When a Roman soldier could legally commandeer a civilian to help him, to, to carry or to use their mule or to carry themselves up to a mile uh, to help them as prescribed distance. But we also know and saw a picture of this when Simon of Cyrene helped Jesus carry the cross that a Roman soldier called out to him and said, carry the cross. It was under this idea of forcing to do this. But we see Jesus' followers should understand that if we are called, even under obligation, that we should be willingly to do what we've been asked or even commandeered to do. But go the extra mile. Even if we feel insulted, that we are to do the double distance, not in an insulting way, sort of when, I, when you ask a teenager to do something and you know, gosh, I can't do it. That's not the Christian attitude. But instead that we're to do so cheerfully to a second mile or beyond. It would be even more pharisaical of us as Christians to say, okay, let's read this. Uh, someone asked me to, uh, to uh, do something uh, to help them to move a couch. And uh, you show up and you say, uh, okay, well, uh, they, they showed up and they actually wanted you to move like three items and say, well, okay, you've asked me to do the couch. I'll do the end table, but I'm not doing that other couch because the Bible only tells me to go the second mile. Well, that's not, the, you know, that's not what the purpose is. It's not to say I'll go one mile and then go two mile and at the, the two mile and inch mark, I'm stopping. The point is, is to have the attitude of selflessness that in the same way that our, even our time, our ability, our service is to be used as of God and not be hoarded as our own. This is radical as Jesus asked us, if someone asked us to do something, uh, that we would do so even cheerfully the extra mile and as far as it is needed 
So even, even if we know that we've been given extra work at the office or we've been saddled with someone else's work or we've been sent out to do something that we saw menial or that we saw that we, it was just didn't seem like a valuable use of our time, what are we should do? We should do it out of service of the Lord, willing to serve and give cheerfully so that finally we are able to see and have and know that number four, we have no right even to our money, even to our money in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, when you read this, you could misinterpret it in a couple of different ways. One, some people read the first thing and say, anybody who asks you for money, you should just give it to you. And I, I, I knew of someone who, who took this so literally that they almost put themselves in the poorhouse because they, they lived near a, a, a kind of a professional beggar's area and, and they were giving out and giving out and giving out and what, what someone had to come alongside them and say, look, uh, you see this guy and this guy, uh, they are struggling. This money that you're giving them is going straight to alcohol and drugs and you're actually enabling them. And so, so you need to be wise with your funds and your money. We need to be freely giving. If God leads you to give to someone, you need to give and, and not think twice about it. But you shouldn't, to the letter of this law, say anybody who asks, you need to give it to it. On the other hand, also, it says that you are to, to loan or anybody wants to borrow from you. You know that it is wise to understand that I'm going to borrow something from someone. Just go ahead and borrow it and expect it back. Well, what happens is, is now you're holding something over someone. What you need to understand is that the value of loaning or giving is really you should expect not to get that back or give something. Uh, you should, the giving nature is not expecting something in return. So we need to be cautious how we read this, but the burden and what Jesus is calling on this passage is that we, that, G, that Christ will not tolerate a mercenary, tight-fisted, penny-pinching attitude in which the financial counterpart to our eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We shouldn't be asking how little we could give or how, how, how much we keep, but instead how we can radically give to the glory of God how much we can give for Christ's work and how much we can give for those who are in need we understand that how hard it is to earn money it, most times today you work doubly hard for the money that you earn that you first started out with. We also know because the government takes so much in taxes, it's hard to earn a living and take care of your family. But the radical generosity and attitude in which Jesus says is what is yours is not really yours. What yours is God's the Father's who the provisions have come from heaven for you. And that the graciousness and gifts that God has provided for you is just yours on your way to bless someone else. If we think we own or if we think it's ours, then what we are doing is idolizing our money. And if we keep it, then we are showing how self-serving we are. Brothers and sisters, we know as Christians, we are to be sacrificial givers. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each person 
should do as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, but since God loves a cheerful giver. It is in one who one gives graciously out of generous or hilariously out of what God has given. Brothers and sisters, there is no one thing that more reveals the gravitational pull of our hearts than how we look at our own money. If, if we are not givers, the, the gravitational pull is to ourselves. And it's hard to give away. There's nothing more self-centered when someone who's not willing to give to someone in need or refuses to give to the ministries of the church because I own it mentality. But Jesus says here that give wherever any, there is a need or to loan when there is a need. The scriptures help us to see that we must be thankful to God and therefore giving and making ourselves less. So these four instances and illustrations help us to see what Jesus is really trying to teach. To think less of ourselves. That in the same way that we have no right to retaliation, no right to things, no right to our time, no right to his money. In other words, that the Christian holds all his possessions in trust from the Lord and he's obliged to use them as Jesus did to help others. As Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones observed of this passage, he said, Our Lord here is unveiling and exposing this horrible thing that controls the natural man, self. A terrible legacy that has come down from the fall of man, which makes man glorify himself and set himself up as a god. He protects himself all along and in every way, but he does, does it not only when he's attacked, or when something is taken from him, but also in the manner of his possessions. But here's the good news for us. That when we trust in Christ and we see the glory of the one who gave of himself, that we are sinners separated from God, that he, God, the, uh, the offended party, right? The one in which all sin is against, he turned his wrath on his son, not on us. And that if we trust in Jesus Christ, that we will not die separated from God, but instead, the mercy that we have received from him. It is when we understand this and that we receive the Holy Spirit, that by God's grace, Jesus changes our hearts. That we no longer think in the terms of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But thanks be to Jesus that we have, we have been let go of our legalistic obsession with fairness. That we're glad. We are glad that Jesus was not fair to us. Because if Jesus was fair, then all of our sins would be counted against us. If Jesus was fair, all the wrath would be given to us. But we are thankful.
because of the mercy and grace of Christ that we have received these things from him and that we now, as we have been forgiven, we put up with the sins of others, the insults of others for Christ's sake and theirs. Though that we've been hurt many times before, that we, uh, we, want to, we refuse to draw into the shell of ourself, but instead, we, uh, when we understand we appear weak, instead we are strong. For the most powerful life that we can live is through our, the power that Christ has given us and not ours. See, everything comes from Christ. Jesus' sayings are hard. In fact, it's impossible. I read this and I think there's no way at this point in my life. But I'm so glad for the Sermon on the Mount. Because I understand Jesus saying, you're right, Sean. It is impossible. It is only through me and only depending upon me. And only abiding in me. And only living in me. And only my life and righteousness through you will you live this way. May the Lord Jesus work on us in this surprising and radical righteous way that, that we get his righteousness. That we don't always insist on others being fair to us. So that we are willing to be hurt. We're willing to be vulnerable. Because then, just as in the ancient world, people will notice and see that we're different than the world around us. May we live for Christ. May we live for him. May we not live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray humbly. And asking for your power and knowing that it is not in us to live in this way. May you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us, instruct us, humble us, and help us to see in which we might live for you. Maybe there's someone here right now that complains about fairness of life. Maybe there's someone here that felt insulted or hurt by someone this week. May someone who is struggling with self, may we lay it all at the cross. May we be changed by you and your son. And may we see the radical call to love in which you have loved us first. And now we must love others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.